Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Hey kids, comics! And here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the show. It's a very relaxed show tonight. It is tonight. We have comfy chairs, mm. unlike the, the hard ones we are normally provided by Signor Demanza. He doesn't believe in comfort when you're recording, does he? No. But this is comfy chairs. Yeah. I like this immensely. Unless we're really quiet on the recorder. <laughs> we won't be making any creaking noises when we move around on the chair anymore. Yeah. You know, I always wonder what I could do with them, whether we should edit them out, because it sounds like you're farting. <laughs> All you're doing really is moving your chair and it's scraping against the wooden floor, but it does sound like you're going... <laughs> Which usually you are. Yeah, but I normally do it more silent than that. <laughs> I'm normally more uh, more subtle when letting release my gases. Anyway, should we do a couple of emails? Unless you've got something to say about this past week. No. No, no. Nothing important happened comet related. We've ripped the kitchen to bits, but that's not really relevant to the show, is it? Mark Smith has emailed in. Apparently his middle name is Spidey. Okay. Uh, Mark Spidey Smith. I like that. Uh, that's quite cute. Congratulations on 200 and beyond. That's like Buzz Lightyear. Two hundred 200 and beyond. I like that. Hello Leyland A and Leyland 1. You decide who's 2. Well I'd have to be A. Because yes. you're the only member of the family who doesn't begin with A. There is that. Aren't you? Which makes you unique. It does. I think. Yeah. Special. Well, you're very special. <laughs> that's that's very true. Congratulations on your 200th episode. Sorry this is a bit late. It's not late, Mark. It's not as late as us actually getting around to reading it. When did he send this? 21st of October. So it's only took us a little bit over six weeks to get to it. Yeah. That's, that's good, that, I think, for us. Thank you for keeping me sane at work whilst I listen to your show. Even though I haven't read most of the comics you cover, it's always interesting hearing what you two northern chances think of them. I love the idea that he, he loves what we think of comics he's never read. Yeah. <laughs> that always amuses me. What if these people actually read these books one day and just go, they don't know what they're talking about. Everything they dislike is actually the pinnacle of comic art achievement. Youngblood is the greatest thing I've ever read. And everything they like is appallingly bad. (laughs) Zero year? Ha! I mock your zero year. In fact, you could probably mock zero year. Hopefully I may get the chance to say hello to both of you if I see you at Thought Bubble this year. Well, were you were, Mark. You could have come along and said hello again. Thanks for giving me hope that one day my son may think I'm cool for saving all my comics for him when he's older. <laughs> Keep up the great work, Mark. Well, Mark, you should have... We were at Thought Bubble. We were? Weren't we? He should have come and said hi. Michael was always in a queue, so we probably wouldn't have been able to find him. 
You didn't move a lot, did you? Not really. <laughs> kind of shuffled a bit, <laughs> getting closer and closer to whomever it was you want to, to get close to. Well, thank you, Mark. I'm, uh, I'm quite disappointed you didn't come and say hello. I'm uh, a bit miffed now. I like saying hello to people. Mm-hmm. As long as it's not awkward. It's never awkward, though. Is it not? No, I don't think so. Most people are very nice. Only most. Only most, yeah. Mark's nice. We met him last year. He had the Spider-Man jacket on. Okay. That was Mark. Gabriel Bradley has emailed in. Is Gabriel Bradley new? I'm not a new sure. person. We've lose track now. Oh, yeah. There used to be a time when only six people listened. <laughs> we knew who they all were. Now there's 18 of them. Yeah, yeah. It's quite hard to keep track of 18 different people, isn't it? Anyway, Gabriel Bradley's emailed. Hey, guys. Hey, Gabriel. New listener here. Ooh, say, yeah, new listener. All right. Cool. Stumbled upon you and your podcast due to boredom. <laughs> <laughs> I like that he didn't say, stumbled upon your podcast and it caused boredom. <laughs> yeah, the, the wrong word order there would have been. <laughs> yes, he was very careful with how he worded everything there, which we appreciate. It was very nice. I must say, your stuff is quite enjoyable. <laughs> quite enjoyable. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. I love this email already. <laughs> Been mostly listening to the episodes where you guys cover those anything goes because f*** it, we have money 90s books. <laughs> <laughs> but I was both disappointed and not at all surprised that you didn't really touch on Valiant or the Malibu Ultraverse, which were some good examples of comics done correctly in the 90s. You know, of the 18 people that listen, 17 of them have said, why did you not cover Valiant or the Malibu stuff? Well, apparently Valiant's really good. Apparently so. Yeah, but have you ever read any of that? I read the, the Valiant teaser that Jeff Lemire right. gave me for free. Well, that's the recent stuff. Have you ever read any of the old stuff? No. No. See, the reason, which if we wish to part the curtain and let people speak, peek, peek, not speak, peek behind, is we'd never read any of it. I've never read any Malibu. I didn't know Bar- uh, Valiant existed until he brought it back. I think I was vaguely aware of it as being a, a Jim Shooter thing, but um, that's why we didn't cover it. For the 17 people that have uh, emailed in saying, why did you not cover this stuff? It was largely because we'd never read it. And I have this policy yes. on this show that I won't cover things I've not actually read. No, yeah, well, okay, yeah. I'm not one of those um, film critics right. who doesn't actually watch the film, of which Mark Kermode has talked about. There have been quite a few, surprisingly. Yeah. He'll send one of the lackeys to yeah. watch it for them. And tell them about and it. And tell them about it, and then they just regurgitate that opinion. So they don't actually watch the film. But we don't do that. We actually suffer for our art. We do. And my God, some of that 90s stuff was suffering. Anywho, wraps up Gabriel. Look forward to hearing more of your four colour antics. Sincerely, Gabriel Bradwell. Thank you, Gabriel. Um, quite enjoyable is what we strive for. We're not wanting to be sufficiently silly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Your stuff is quite enjoyable. <laughs> That's tickled me. <laughs> oh, speaking of tickling me, the mighty Luke Jackinetti has emailed in. Get your slugfest out of my cosmic meta story. No, get your cosmic meta story out of my slugfest. That's a good opening, isn't it? I like that. Andy versus Michael, Michael versus Andy. I remember the hype for Marvel versus DC, DC versus Marvel, very well from my halcyon days of youth as a comics fan. But I also remember examining the cost and my budget at the time and passing. 
Learning that this series was exposition heavy was quite surprising. I always thought it would be nothing but a slugfest. Oh well. I do have to take issue with your logic though, Ander. I didn't know Luke had pointed at you. <laughs> you argued there was no way Storm could beat Wonder Woman and that it was merely that the X-Men were popular that she won the fan vote. A stance I completely agree with. But then you're okay with Wolverine defeating Lobo, a character so far out of Wolverine's weight class that he has absolutely no chance of defeating him, but won the fight because the X-Men were popular. How does that work exactly? And considering you use logic to state that Namor could beat Aquaman, doesn't logic equally apply to the character who can go toe-to-toe with Superman and is known and feared the galaxy over as one who could easily take out a little berserker from Canada, no matter how popular he is? (laughs) Well, they are all excellent questions. Yeah. With but one small problem. (laughs) No, I can't do that gag because he didn't do it. Uh, Matt Evans pointed this out last week, didn't he? that where it came to, to Wolverine and Lobo, my logic was slightly faulty. I believe another email I did as well. Did we have a couple of emails? Or was that the week before? I'm not sure. I don't edit these ones, so I have no idea what goes on in them. So I vaguely remember a couple of people have called me out on this. And in my defence, I am going to offer a cogent argument, intelligently reasoned and well-argued as to why I have no problem with that. I can't stand Lobo. <laughs> Now, I grant you that that is not logical. I grant you that it is completely irrational. But, you know, I don't really care in that instance because I don't like Lobo. I'm not arguing with anything that Luke says here. He's he's absolutely right. Lobo has gone toe-to-toe with Superman. But again, we didn't actually see how Wolverine beat him. And surely if Tommy Monaghan can beat Lobo, I'm sure Wolverine can. Yeah, so we'll go with that. that. Your idea was better than mine. Anyway, Luke continues. As far as Aquaman defeating Namor, it was Peter David writing the issue, and Pad had orchestrated the 90s Aquaman revamp, so that did not strike me as a surprise. If only Jim Starlin could have written the battle between Darkseid and Thanos. That would have been really good, actually. Oh, how wonderfully out there that would have been. I picture the two of them sitting at a table wrought out of the surface of some distant moon, each quietly contemplating the chessboard between them, whilst on some other plane of reality, or if Stalin is writing it, actuality, they hammer each other back and forth mercilessly, with the fight ending as the loser pushes his king over and retires. There was also a second wave of amalgam books published the following year. The only one of these I am familiar with is the superlative Iron Lantern by Kurt Busiek and Paul Smith, which is a pitch-perfect late Silver Age, early Bronze Age combination of Iron Man and Green Lantern. Sean Engel and I talked about this one on Just One of the Guys, episode 105, and it's fantastic fun, and we heartily approve, Luke, of you plugging a podcast there. There was also Challenges of the Fantastic, one of those head slappers which combines the first family with the Challenges of the Unknown. That boot was by Carl Kiesel and Tom Grummet, and now that I have looked that up, I must buy it. Yes, you must. Because Challenges of the Unknown was truly fantastic. No, Challenges of the Fantastic was truly unknown. No. (laughs) Challenges of the Fantastic was brilliant. Is what I'm trying to say. You got there in the end. I got there in the end. While Carl Kessel and Tom Grummet have never been given a long run on Fantastic Four... I'll never know, although they've been cancelled now, haven't they? So, yeah. you know. Thanks for the insight on the series. It seems I was right to have skipped. <laughs> Luke. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you're right to skip. It had moments, didn't it? Yeah. Every once in a while. Yeah, every, every six or seven pages it had one moment of, <laughs> of not suckiness. 
Finally tonight, we are going to read an email from the mighty Chris Franklin. Did I miss the jet cycles? He asks. Hello, Leylands. Hello, Chris. I was waved on the audio. I don't know. Much like Michael Bailey, I feel you guys are reading my fucking mind. Maybe it's those Demanzo droids you were talking about. Anyway, the comics of the early 80s were on my mind this morning on my way to work. Cindy, in her guise as mild-mannered librarian, had brought home Batman, a visual history for me and my son Andrew to fight over. He's got a good name. Chris's son, hasn't he? <laughs> I approve of that now. The book is a year-by-year examination of Batman's comics career, and unlike nearly every history ever written on the character, they didn't skimp on the first half of the 80s. On the ride to work and school, I was just telling Andrew how this era of superhero comics in general, and the Batman in particular, are largely ignored by comics historians barring breakout runs like Burns FF, New Teen Titans, and X-Men. And here you guys go and cover it! On the same day! Get out of my head! It's like John Malkovich, isn't it? Yeah. It's my head! You never seen big John Malkovich? No. It's a bit weird. This is truly the beginning of my era of comics, continues Chris's email. I was just learning to read in elementary school around this time, and my comics purchases were coming increasingly more consistent. It wasn't long after these issues that I really missed an issue of Superman, Action, Batman, Tech, or Amazing Spectacular Spider-Man. I'm trying to remember if I have this issue of Superman. It seems somewhat familiar. I'm going to have to dig through my long boxes. I possibly have an old dog-eared coverless copy somewhere. Chalk me up as a fan of Supergirl's blouse and hot pants. I freely admit I didn't much care for her stories, but I like looking at the pictures of her in Superman family at this time. Even if I was too young to understand why. Young Chris there looking at Supergirl and going, Ooh, a bit hot. Ooh, hot pants. Ooh, I'm getting tinglys. <laughs> I, I felt the same way. I like Supergirl's hot pants costume. Chris continues, I do have this Batman comic. Earth Novik, along with Don Newton and Jim Aparo, were the first Batman artists I recognised from issue to issue. I always liked his take on Batman, similar to Adams by this point, but more lithe and slightly frenetic. Jerry Conway was carrying on the tradition of Marvel-like subplots started by Steve Englehart and Len Wein before him, and I really enjoyed this take. To me, it was a more serialised adventure strip than soap opera that it was more Doug Menchie's shtick when he followed Conway. I don't have this particular Spider-Man comic. I wasn't an X-Men guy, so I have less to say about them, although I did have quite a few of O'Neill's run. I really like Romita Jr.'s art from this period and subsequently haven't enjoyed it nearly as much as he's gone further and further from this style. Overall, I think one reason why this comic's just read as good, not bad for you, Andy, may be because they were just the issue of the month. Next month, another book would be out for 50 cents, and then another after that. There was no pressure on the creative team to make issue the event of the century, and goose retailers to buy more issues than normal. They were simply out to tell entertaining yarns worthy of your 50 cents. The abandonment of newsstands and increasing prices robbed us readers of the enjoyable, casual read, and I think we're worse off for it. If everything is the extra special must-read issue of the year, then nothing is. I think you two have a great concept here in this series, and I'm very psyched to hear you follow these titles through the decade. Chris. Uh, There's a couple of things there. One, awful lot of people seem to have disliked John Jr. as he's evolved, don't they? I think... I also dislike yeah. him. Right. See, I'm, I love him through ooh, the early 2000s, late 90s. He was brilliant on Thor yeah. when Dan Jurgens was on it, which and was mid-90s. He was at what I... From what I've read Consider of him, his peak. he was at his best on Straczynski's Spider-Man. See, Straczynski's Spider-Man was where I started losing it. Is I it? think he starts having Spider-Man has spindly legs by that point. Yeah, I think his Superman stuff at the moment, though, is quite... 
bad. Is it? Well, yeah. when we cover that... It has a moment of, ooh, ooh, that's good. But for the rest of it, it's not all that yeah. good. Well, when we cover that, we'll be able to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Just like Superman Unchained, which we may also take a look at. Gotta do some New 52, I think. We've oh, yeah, we yeah, kind yeah. of neglected the New 52. Mm-hmm. And we have to show the world that, it, that it's better than it's given credit for. So why are we doing Superman Unchained? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loaded this early. Piffy. Uh, and the second thing, yeah, the the comics back then. See, that's I think maybe that's why you didn't respond to it as much. They were just single issue stories, weren't they? It wasn't that. It was just that. I just didn't. They didn't resonate. They didn't speak to me. All oh, right, that's fair enough. Anyway, we'll knock it on the head for emails, though, before we fall asleep in our comfy chairs. Thank you very much for everyone who emailed in. We appreciate you wholly. Largely, mostly, whatever, I don't know, I'm falling asleep tonight. Uh, And we'll be back with more emails next time, but for right now we're going to take a little bit of a break. And uh, we'll be right back. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman! You need to take the trash out. Hey, I'm trying to make a trailer for our podcast. Oh, you mean Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast? Why yes, that is what I mean. The show where you and I discuss all things geeky. Comics, TV, movies, books, you name it. Well, are you going to tell them that you can find the show at www.supermatescomic.blogspot.com? Well, I think you kind of already did. And that new shows will be posted bi-weekly, every two weeks? I was, but you just kind of did that too. Well, see, now you can go take out the trash. Great. So join us, Cindy and Chris Franklin, for the Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast at supermatescomic.blogspot.com. Batman issue 30, the first part of Zero Hour's final act, is part of the trifecta that opens each chapter of this story. The cover is the Bat Signal embossed, dominating the bottom of the cover, with Zero Year final act just above the wing. The logo is also embossed. And the colour scheme is brighter, signifying the end of the story. It's kind of a dark green blending into a lighter green. And the bat signal is kind of orange and yellow. It's, it's exactly the same cover as, what, is it 20, 27 and 21 or something like that? Uh, 20, 25? 25, yeah, and 21. That would yeah. be right, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not grown on me. It's the, the green... Anywhere. The green's kind of like the city now. Yeah, yeah, it's representing the verdant look of Gotham now that it's overblown and overgrown and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Alright, fair enough. You want to tell us what happened in this one? Okie dokie. Part one of Savage City goes thusly. Bruce Wayne wakes up. As he comes to, he watches a cockroach climb into a glass on the floor that catches water dripping from the roof. He sees that he's attached to an IV drip climbs out of the mattress on the floor. He walks through the house he finds himself in until he sees a young boy sat at a table surrounded by books. The boy, Duke Thomas, tells Bruce that they're in his family's apartment in Bell Towers and that Bruce has been out since the new year. Bruce says the last thing he remembers was during the summer, but Duke says that there's a new calendar now for the Riddler's zero year. Bruce opens the curtains to see a wild forest growing over the city, with the Riddler weather balloons floating in the sky and a huge question mark on a screen of a tower in the distance. 
Bruce borrows Duke's phone, saying that he has a special number that Nigma can't listen in on, and calls Alfred, saying that the last thing he remembers is crawling from the flaming wreckage of the weather balloon and throwing away his formal work, but they're nothing but blackness. Alfred tells him that the city is lost. With 9% of the border irreparably damaged, the centre overgrown and with flooded tunnels, rigged bridges and weather balloons filled with chemicals hovering in the sky, the city is completely in the control of the Riddler. Bruce says that he's failed as Batman twice now, so Alfred tells him that he can help as Bruce Wayne, escaping the city through the tunnels below the brownstone in Crime Alley and bring the authorities into the city that way. Bruce readies himself to leave and tells Duke to come with him. He says he'll stay. The Riddler says that he's making Gotham get smart, and if anybody can challenge him with a riddle that he can't answer, then he'll let Gotham be free again. And so Duke is coming up with a riddle to be the hero that saves Gotham. Later, Bruce stands in front of his old crime alley building, and climbs down the sewer shaft. Meanwhile, Gordon climbs up the broken fire escape and onto a rooftop where he awaits for a drop team. The team arrive, five men in stealth suits, but without the team or resources that Gordon was promised. The leader of the SEALs tells Gordon that a more tactical approach was chosen. The Riddler comes on the screen and the team crouch down behind a wall on the roof of watch. A man steps up to the tower, Bob Chi, former lead strategist for Powers Industries before he was replaced by Enigma. Bob starts his riddle. There were once two turtles trying to cross a river, but each alone they, they're both blind, interrupts Enigma. Bob is shocked that the Riddler not only solved it, but did so before he even finished, considering that Bob made up the riddle himself. Nigma says that Bob had an obsession with sonic warfare, so it wasn't a great leap to assume that it would be a listening fact, plus turtles have no ears. So the Riddler opens the floor below Bob, making him fall through the darkness into the jackal lure below. The Riddler then turns his attention to a certain group who are breaking his rules. Gordon and the SEALs find themselves in a spotlight surrounded by drones. The leader asks Nigma if there's a way they can speak in private, but after the Riddler says no, then the captain of the SEALs presents Nigma with a briefcase containing $50 million in floating bills, telling Nigma that he's won. Gordon is outraged until the Riddler, refusing anything that isn't a riddle, controls a wrecking ball to collapse a building, making it fall on the next, and the next like a series of dominoes heading straight towards the building that they're on. The drones surround the group, and Nigma says that he's changed the DVTs to motion detection, but Gordon will be able to get just one shot in before the drones start shooting. In a panic, the captain of the SEALs orders Gordon to fire, but a voice from another building tells Gordon to fire at the eye and to stand still. Gordon does so, taking a shot at the flying drone and then standing still as the other drones fire at it, and then fire at each other. As the drones take care of themselves, a water tower collapses onto the roof and acts as a bridge that Gordon and the SEALs climb across just as the previous building collapses. Gordon looks up to find Batman above him, gives him his hand, and tells him to call him Jim. Aww, good ending that, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, just like Uncle Philip was part of the old Golden Age stories, the opening to this issue, which you skipped off in the synopsis, which you wise to do, because it's not really relevant in this issue, although it will become relevant later. Yes. Uh, Snyder brings in another Golden Age element, Julie Madison, who was the Golden Age lover of Bruce Wayne. They were engaged. Really? At one point, yeah. Right. He was engaged to Julie Madison. And he's just seen her being shot in the head? Yeah, that's just... He sees everyone get shot in the head, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. There's that thing in the school... 
yeah. where the uh, the teacher picks on him essentially to solve the riddle, mm. and you look round and Bruce just sees everyone in his class as having been shot through the head. Yeah, which is which goes back to what we were talking about last week that Martha's death was far more graphic in this interpretation of the origin than it had ever been before. And had more of an effect and on him. And had more of an effect on him, yeah. yeah. Which, I can kind of see his point though, because this was something we've talked about before. It's all daddy issues, isn't it? Yeah. He's obsessed with Thomas Way. Superman's obsessed with jor And it's like the mum wasn't really that important. So yeah. having his mum be the one who was executed like that in front of him mm. gives her as much weight in the story as the death of his dad does. Yeah. So while I'm not particularly a fan of seeing people get shot through the head, you know, unless it's in Robocop, where it's, you know... <laughs> Personally, I, I think it gives him more of a reason to do what he does. Yeah, it's embedded in his memory, isn't it? Every time yeah. he closes his eyes, you imagine that he sees that. Mm. So that's what we were saying last week. That had to be as graphic as it was because it's important to the character that you you would look at that and go, there is no way he would forget that. Yeah. Because one of the things people have said to me is, why has he never got over it? Why has he never gone to therapy? Mm. Well, if you imagine you're lying on the floor and your mum's looking into your eyes and suddenly the bullet comes flying through her head, yeah. you're not going to get over that. And I think that was a, quite a subtle way of Snyder addressing that criticism yeah. without you know slamming you over the head with it. I think he did a great job with that. And there's a lot more of that in the final issue yeah. with how he copes with it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you've listened to the other two shows, it's not going to come as a surprise to you that we don't think he fumbled the ball in this last act. Mm. I think this is every bit as good as the first two acts. Yeah. In many ways, I think this is better, because everything he sets up, he pays off beautifully. Yeah. Throughout the entire 12 issues, everything comes to a head in, the, in this story. It's a great... This deserves to be collected as a complete 12-issue story, doesn't it? It deserves to be on as many top ten lists as it can do for the foreseeable future. You think? Is it that good? Yeah, it's better than what is on most top ten lists. Yeah, well, see, it depends what those top ten lists are, doesn't it? If those top ten lists are the top ten graphic novels to give to somebody who's only enjoyed Batman Begins and wants to read Batman... Yeah. That's a completely different list from the best Batman stories ever told... And the best stories ever told by people who've read comics for more than five years. Yeah. They're three completely different lists. Mm. But, yeah, I think, I think this is masterfully done. I think this is absolutely fantastic. There's a great page, um, the splash page of it, where Capullo once again draws... The city. ...a painstakingly detailed map. He does. Do you think, does he follow this? Because I know back in the, the 90s they did actually have maps of Metropolis and Gotham. Yeah. And they did actually stick to them. You mm. know, if over the bridge was, um, I don't know, whatever it was, Suicide Slum, that was Superman, wasn't yeah. it? Not Batman. But if over the bridge was Suicide Slum, then over the bridge was always Suicide Slum. Yeah. So they did have a geography to what they were doing, which I quite liked. The Robin sigil is again seen on a glass of water that is at the side of Bruce's bed. Is this significant in a way I'm just not getting? I just assumed it was something like a football team. Right. The Gotham Robins. The Gotham Raiders? Could be, yeah. Because, uh, well, pre-crisis, no, pre-crisis. Post-crisis, it was the Gotham Knights, wasn't it? Yeah. Which uh, was a bit clever, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, I do love this kid, Duke Thomas. The Riddler is mostly playing fur and states that anyone that can outfox him with a riddle will win and the Riddler will give the city back to the people. So he's, he's studying riddles, this kid. 
so that he can beat Nigma. Yeah. This kid's going to grow up to be a superhero. Yeah, yeah. Isn't he? Has he been in anything else? Is this not Snyder? So he's not planting seeds with this character for something else? Well, he he was the kid in the first issue. Yeah, but he's not. And he's This is six years ago now. Yeah. So has that kid not become some kind of teen superhero? Don't know. Right. Maybe he'll show up again in Endgame. Oh, maybe he's been in Teen Titans or something, because we don't read that, so I don't know. Uh, Bruce has been out of it long enough for the Riddler to have taken a stranglehold on the city, which is accurate. Injured or not, Bruce would not have stood still for this if he'd had the ability to do something. So you basically had to have him taken out of the picture for this story to work, don't you? Yeah, for quite a long time, considering how much hair he's got now. Yes, because he he had a shaved head the last time we saw him, didn't he? Yeah. And uh, for quite a long time, judging by the absolutely gorgeous two-page spread of Gotham. Yeah. Which is amazingly detailed and absolutely stunning piece of artwork, isn't it? The ground level's covered in moss and there are broken cars and shattered buildings. It's like a nicer version of The Walking Dead or Escape from New York. Yeah. Which, this strongly reminded me of Escape from New York with the bridges being cut Mm. off and the Riddler having weather balloons in the sky. I have expected a Jamie Lee Curtis voiceover explaining that uh, in 1997 Gotham City's crime rate plummeted (laughs) by 200% or something like that. Of course, while Batman was out of action, Jim Gordon was still doing his bit. Uh, Gordon's material's brilliant. Yeah. I really like Gordon in this story. Very effective. As he tries to meet up with people that he thinks are here to help him. Uh, who then sell him out. Mm. That Navy Seals aren't what we hoped they would be. Are they? No. Basically, the President's told him to come and pay Riddler off. So, I don't know. They end up fighting for the just cause, so it's no, it's okay. Uh, Batman's cape and cowl is now being used by the Riddler as a deterrent. Although he gets it back eventually, doesn't he? Very similar to the death of Superman. Yeah, yeah, being a uh, tattered cape hung up on um, a spike in the middle of town. The team that come to help Gordon stink very much of Agents Johnson and Johnson from Die Hard. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Uh, we lose 60%, we save 70 Oh, uh, acceptable losses. I liked that. I thought that was quite funny. I would have put money on them not making it out of this story alive. Yeah. I'd have lost that bet, mm. wouldn't I? Because uh, none of them die. A couple of them may get injured. Yeah. None of them actually die, do they? It's a really good panel, though. All the page, there, just the big tower in it. Mm. And I'm pretty sure this is the issue where, yeah, Greg Capullo is in that panel. Where was right, the Oh, the baseball cap on. And I know it's him, because I tweeted him on it, and, and he retweeted me. Did he? So, yeah. So yeah. you spotted that that's Greg Capullo. I did, yeah. And you let Greg Capullo himself know yeah. that you'd spotted that. And he, he, and he, he confirmed. Yeah, yeah. I'm very impressed. He was in, I forgot to point it out, but he was in an earlier issue in a hospital. Was he? I think so, yeah. Right, an earlier issue of Zero Year, or just yeah, an yeah. earlier issue general. You can tell it's him, because he's, he's got his moustache and his backwards cap. And his baseball cap on. Yeah, that's alright, fair enough. Uh, the scene where Nigma outsmarts this Bill guy who challenges him is, uh, is great, but he then misquotes when he talks to God. Profanity is a weak mind trying to express itself forcefully. And Gordon says, actually, it's a feeble mind, you asshole. He's uh, a good character beat, because it not only shows that the Riddler's an arrogant asshole, a trait that always lets people down in stories like this, mm. but his gaff with Gordon reveals he's not as smart as he thinks he is. Yeah. Very subtle piece of character work, though. 
mm. that he isn't quite as clever as he assumes himself to be. Although the domino trick is cool visually. Yeah. He's basically got a wrecking ball set up at the edge of town. He smashes a building in exactly the right place that causes it to topple, which, like dominoes, hits the next building, which hits the next building, which hits the next building, before it's going to crush Gordon and the Navy SEALs. Um, on the one hand, this felt a bit wasteful. I yeah. do hope there's not people in those buildings. Maybe they've been renovated. Everyone just seems to be lying about in the, the town square. Yeah, though. I don't understand why people... Well, everyone's shown up for his broadcast, I presume. Yeah. All right, we'll assume there is no one in the buildings. Uh, but it's a trick, albeit cool, visually, but it's a trick that only works once, isn't it? Yeah. And it only works if these people are stood in exactly the right place. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not quite as effective if they were stood after the first building. <laughs> Because it would mean it destroyed all these for nothing. It would also wouldn't be quite as effective if they were stood in a different row of buildings. Yeah. Where there wasn't a wrecking it is, ball. It is lucky that the Riddler's wrecking ball is set up for the right row of buildings. <laughs> yeah. You are absolutely right. That was really, really fortunate. Uh, as we go on, Batman showing up is astonishingly cool. Yeah. I don't know what astonishing is, <laughs> but it is astonishingly cool moment when Batman shows up and rescues the Navy SEALs. I actually think that's brilliant. And he's in his uber-gorilla warfare Yeah, outfit. he's in his gorilla warfare He's just in a grey jumpsuit. Basically, but he's got the cape. He's got the cowl on, but he doesn't have the cape. He doesn't look as cool without the cape. He doesn't. Although he rocks the short sleeves. Yeah, yeah. I'll give him that. He's, he really his does. jumpsuit's not as cool as his proper gorilla warfare we first saw him in. No, but back, back in issue one where he was on the motorbike yeah, when he yeah. first met the kid, Duke. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So that was a lovely little bit as well. Yeah. That doesn't pay off till you get here, Now you it? have the context of now it. Now you have yeah. the context of it, yeah. Absolutely fantastic piece of writing. Uh, I didn't understand why they were saying ring a ring a rosy. Ring around the roses is a child's nursery rhyme, apparently dating back to the late 1700s or early 1800s when uh, when I was a kid, that was said to be about the Black Death. Yes, it, it happened was. in 1665. Is that still true? Yeah. All right, fair enough. But I, what's ring a ring a rosy? Well, Ring around a rosy, I didn't... Isn't that got different words, isn't it? Is, is it? Change? Is that just the American version of the same country? Right, right, okay. Because ours is ringed around the roses. Yeah. A tissue, a tissue, we all fall down, black death. Ah. Oh. Alright, fair enough. Great little action beat at the end of the issue, where Batman serves the Navy SEALs. And uh, I love that Batman solved the riddle. Yeah. It was Batman who solves the riddle, which is really, really cool. And then he blows... Up, <laughs> which is always an excellent way to end an issue of a comic yeah, with yeah. stuff blowing up, especially when it's done by Batman. Especially when it's done by Batman, and I love that um, the thing that the Navy Seals slagged Gordon off earlier for—that he hangs out with a psycho asshole in a bat suit. Yeah, when he introduces Batman, that's how he introduces him. Yeah, and then he says, "No offense," and Batman's like, "No, take it." It was great, absolutely fantastic, brilliant issue, isn't it? As mm. before. An excellent start to the final act of the story. A chance to take all the elements Snyder has been building up and then put them all back together. It's a little bit No Man's Land, a little bit Dark Knight Rises, a little bit Escape from New York, but the dialogue crackles with wit and energy. There are some lovely little nuggets of character and the action set pieces are spectacular. It's an old story. Tur a man completely down until he has no choice but to get back up handled best in comics uh, in Daredevil Born Again. But just because it's old doesn't make it not good. Mm. 
I think it's, it's really cool seeing Batman be stealthy for a completely different reason than to strike terror into the hearts of evil. Yes, he's, he's been stealthy here because he doesn't want Nigma taking it out on the city. He's been stealthy here because he doesn't want to die. That as well. Which is a good reason to be <laughs> stealthy. I, I, I think you will agree. Batman issue 31 perched atop a gargoyle infested with ivy. The Batman sits on the cover, knees drawn up, clutching a bow and arrow. He is not dressed in his formal war, apart from the cowl. The boots are sturdier than usual and he wears a torn hoodie over his tunic and a backpack of supplies in lieu of a utility belt. The sun sets over Gotham as he waits. It's a good cover. I think it's a great cover. It's not particularly action-packed, it has to be said. It's just, there's a lot of atmosphere in it. Yes, and it's quite unusual to see Batman sitting in the sun. Yeah. I mean, I grant you, it's the sun setting, mm. so you're kind of getting this idea that he's waiting for night to happen. Yeah. He's waiting for night to fall. Yeah. Uh, see what I, Even yeah. just Batman on his own looks really great like that, though. He's very moody, Yeah. isn't he? It's very moodily done. There's something about... Gorilla Batman, which is really cool. You think? Yeah. I like the colour scheme. I like that the background's all bright and sunny as the sun sets, yet the foreground is very dark mm. and moody. Good. Alright, then you've changed my mind. It's a good cover. I don't know that it <laughs> suits the issue, but it's a good piece of art, I think is what we're saying, isn't it? Mm. Tell us all about it. Lucius Fox stands basking in the sunrise with a recorder in his hand. He tells his son through the recorder, today is the day he'll challenge the Riddler. He doesn't believe he'll survive and he's terrified, but he's at peace, believing he has to take a chance. But as he's covered in the shadow of a bat, his mind changes. Batman, Lucius, Jim and the Seals stand over a table. They say that the Riddler's real challenge is to catch him out and find where he's hiding, but that the equipment he uses to bounce his signal is turned off when it's not in use so that it can't be traced. However, if Lucius can gain access into the Riddler's equipment on the screen, then he should be able to find his location, as long as he has ten minutes. Batman decides to challenge Enigma to a riddle. That should last ten minutes. The Riddler says good morning once again to the tired citizens of Gotham City and calls for a new challenger, another possible hero. But nobody rises. Nobody challenges the Riddler. Except for one man. The Batman jumps in on his motorbike and comes to a stop at the foot of the building, looking up at the screen. Meanwhile, Jim climbs up the ladder leading to the screen and connects a scanner into the equipment. The Riddler asks Batman what kind of riddle will it be, and reels off lists of bat-worshipping tribes and gods, but Batman says that his riddle is from Gotham City. Lucius says he's got a signal, but the casing is thicker than he thought it would be, and Batman has 19 minutes. Gordon spots a drone behind him, probably checking up on the connection disruption, but it's blocking his way back down the ladder. Batman begins his riddle about a boy, a dazzlingly smart boy who nobody notices. Before long, the boy starts provoking people into noticing how smart he is by breaking into corporate data banks and government safe locks, but still nobody notices how smart he is. Even when working for some of the most powerful people in the world, nobody seems to notice how smart he is. So he gets louder and louder and louder. But what he can't see is that people only notice smart when smart changes the world. When it adds and doesn't take away. The Riddler gets tired of this and starts profiling Batman. He says that under the cowl, Batman is just a man. A man who used to be part of the fights with training that suggests military experience. Batman says he's wrong, but the Riddler, bored, drops Batman down the hole into the Jackal's lure with only 11 minutes left. 
Gina says he needs to help him, but with a drone still in his way, he jumps off the building and into a flooded subway entrance below. Even in the hall, Batman continues to stall Nigma, making him watch Batman beat him. However, Nigma has upgraded from jackals, and now the lure is home to lions. He dives under a car, stabs the gas tank, letting the gas fill his mouth, then uses a lighter to spit fire at the lion. The other follows him through a car window, but Batman emerges from the windshield with the lion tied up on the front seats. Batman beats down the other lion with a metal bat that was on the front of his bike. Lucius says that they've got access, and can see the pattern that should let him locate the Riddler. However, the Riddler controls the towered car park the lions lived in to start dropping cars on Batman. Jim rushes through and beckons Batman over to the escape door. Um, so, in New 52 continuity, going back to the conversation we had a while ago about Man of Steel and All-Star Squadron and all that stuff, does Superman not exist yet? Is Batman now the first guy in the DC universe? Superman does exist, but he's in his Bruce Springsteen era. Right, t-shirt and jeans. Yeah. Right. Alright, fair enough. Because that was one of the questions that you have, like, why does Superman not show up and do something about this? But if he's not really around yet, yeah, that kind of works for this as well, doesn't Plus it? Plus he doesn't have the power set to help out here. Right. Alright, fair enough. That's, now that works quite well. Uh, I really loved the first page, Lucius is serene at peace with his lot, remembering the past with his son, I presume. I yeah. presume he's talking about his son. And preparing to make his stand against the Riddler. He knows he might die, and he's, but he's no desire to live like this. His little monologue about sunlight is gorgeous, and he bathes in it, setting up his decision. All absolutely beautiful setup for the final panel. The shadow of the bat falls across Lucius as he smiles and says, Sunlight's overrated. Gorgeous first page. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Showing that Batman picks his allies well. Yeah. Because Lucius was going to make a stand against the Riddler on his own. And he helped him against Dr. Death. And he helped him against Dr. Death, yeah. Uh, The stand around and plan it out scene is equally entertaining, given that it is standing around and making a plan, isn't it? Yeah. It's one of those scenes in a film, the camera would just be spinning around them all, wouldn't it? Yeah, or just be up. Yeah, them all standing around as, it, as they say anything and it would yeah, move yeah. around each one to try and make it a little bit more visually interesting uh, Lucius was prepared to challenge the Riddler alone because that way the Riddler would not take it out on the city Batman's response is that the Riddler's waiting to punish the city whatever happens so taking him out is essential it's a bit of a techno babble sequence but Snyder makes it work by ramping up the tension considerably by stating that the Batman will have to keep the Riddler engaged for at least ten minutes. And there's, there's a lot of techno babble in the entire last act as well. Yeah, but it never feels, mm, and we will reroute the tech through the tech that will solve the tech problem for yeah, the episode. They, Hooray! They keep it pretty simple as well with conductors and jammers. Yeah. It, and then the conductor for the jammer is ultimately pretty simple. Yeah, and it works, doesn't yeah. it, is what I'm saying. You never get too bogged down in the techno babble. Uh, there's also a great humorous beat where Lucius asks what Batman wanted the steel cutter for earlier. Yeah. And then the shot pulls back to reveal a big bat cut out of the wall. And I love Gordon in this. What's that burning smell? Says Lucius. And Gordon says he used your steel cutter earlier. To make what? Really? Yeah. And there's a big bat hole in the wall that Lucius just isn't noticing. I like how that bat he puts on the front of his bike to yeah. make it a bat bike well, without that bat it would just be a bike without that bike it is without that bat yeah it's just a normal thing your bike yeah, yeah it's just a normal uh, what do they call them off road scrambler dirt bike that's the yeah. one 
But with the bat... Oh, yeah, it's a bat bike. You get the impression that Bruce just likes putting bats on <laughs> yeah. everything. Batman doesn't do yeah. subtle. But no, he's already said that, hasn't he? He's already said Batman doesn't do subtle, so that's okay. Uh, there's an interesting subtext to this story that the world could be brought down, not by people with weapons and armies, but by one man with a good command of how to make all this technology that we all rely on work to his advantage and not ours. Uh, I thought it was quite good because mm. the riddle is basically controlling you through technology. I like, I love the idea of Suzanneuary as well. Yeah, yeah. Where he's on about renaming the months in Gotham City. What's his other suggestion? It was Bob, wasn't it? Yeah, Bob Vember. Yeah, yeah. Bob Vember and Suzanne. Suzanneuary's cleverer. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, that's a little bit smarter than the other one. There's something inherently cool about Batman on a motorcycle. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially that motorcycle. That page. Well, the only thing that would make that cooler is if he had the cape on. It is one of those things. No capes, darling. But yeah, Batman's yeah. just not as cool without the cape, is he? Um, I'm not saying it's not a wonderfully cool Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just imagine if the cape was flowing in the background. I think this Batman is cool and works without a cape, though. You think? I wouldn't go out of my... I wouldn't say that Batman shouldn't wear a cape because he looks cool with a cape. But this Batman... Is, in this is, story is cool enough to not have a cape oh fair enough I like his short sleeves yeah, I, I do think that works exceptionally well the bit at the beginning where he rescues little Duke at the beginning of Zero yeah oh it's in the very first part that happens here doesn't it well just before this yeah yeah but there's a really cool thing Capullo does on the previous page where he's the little montage of the Riddler talking and Batman readying himself yeah where he gets the t-shirt and sprays paint it there's very nice little creasings on where the lines would be on Batman's current costume. Right. Which is pretty neat. Mm, that's quite subtle. Because he's just wearing a bog-standard T-shirt, isn't he, in this one? Yeah. That he's spray-painted a bat on. Because as we've pointed out, Batman likes putting bats on everything. Yeah, yeah. It's fair enough. And it's that? a nice middle ground between his zero-year outfit and mm. his current outfit his proper outfit when Batman arrives to challenge the Riddler the Riddler has to show off his knowledge of the different bat totems throughout the world he's just been a smart ass there isn't he Mm. Um, the Riddler's one of those people who has to let everyone know that he's the smartest man in the room yet when Batman reads him psychologically he nails the man doesn't he because he gets all bent out of shape about it yet when he tries to guess at who the Batman is under the mask he's woefully out of off the mark he doesn't get it right at all. Although he doesn't believe Bruce Batman when he says, eh, not even close. Yeah. He just thinks he's spoofing it. There is a great bit, though, when um, the Riddler is in control of the entire city and he has all of the power. Mm. But when the Riddler's talking to him, Batman just tells him to shut up and listen to him. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, that's part of the whole thing, isn't it? The Riddler's took over this... And it is one of those... It's a campy line from the 60s TV show, like, what, if only we could channel that power for good. Yeah. But that is essentially what he says to him, isn't it? Mm. Why are you using your intelligence to bring down? Why are you not using it to elevate? Yeah. Make society better? And the, if there is a tragedy to the Riddler, it's that he's so obsessed with being the smartest guy in Gotham, and he believes that the way to achieve that is just by outsmarting Batman... Yeah. Instead of actually channeling his intellect into doing something worthwhile for humanity. Like being a private detective. Like being a private detective, yeah. But I just like how Batman bows to no one. Even to the person who's got the most power and is in charge of Gotham and completely controls it, he tells him to shut up. (laughs) 
He's like Batman being Kurt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the back half of the issue with the Batman keeping the Riddler engaged for double the amount of time Lucius originally estimated. Crosscut with Lucius tapping the line and Gordon getting into position. It, that was just masterfully staged, mm. wasn't it? The way that they handle it is really, really good. I do have to say, Gordon making the jump from that height into that very small flooded stairwell to the underground, that's a little bit implausible. Yeah, yeah. Look how high up the building he was. Yeah. If he can hit that target, he's a <laughs> damn good diver. He's not even diving. No, he just kind of jumps, doesn't he? Yeah. So that was a little bit, you know. In a story that's almost plausible. Yeah. Within the realms of comic books. You know, I'm not saying that this is the most realistic story ever told. But within the comic book realm, they make it work. That seemed a little bit implausible to me. Only a little. Oh, maybe maybe Jim Gordon was a, a master diver when he was in high school. Should we say that? He was, uh, what's his name? Part of the diving team. Yeah, part of the diving team. He was, what's his name? The diver guy who does that TV Tom show. Tom Daly. Yeah, he's Tom Daly. <laughs> he was the Gotham High School Tom Daly. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't he? Uh, Batman versus Lions is always cool. Yeah. And his solution here, draining petrol from a car into his mouth and then lighting it up with a cigarette lighter like a fire breather does is just a stunningly powerful visual I kind of felt a bit sorry that he burnt the lion's head but hey you know survival of the fittest and all of that I love the bit where he smashes through the window the lion follows him going the window but we don't see what happens in the car we just see Batman come out and the lion's tied up the lion's all tied up yeah which was uh, it was very cool and there's an awful lot of it is cool because you don't see what he does yeah which just makes him seem even cooler. Uh, Gordon saving him was also brilliant, wasn't it? Mm. Where um, the Riddler just gets fed up of him and says the Riddler, everyone's attracted to me, everyone falls for me, even you, Batman, what am I, gravity? And then just drops a load of cars on him. And Commissioner Gordon brings him into a doorway. Is the blam blam Gordon busting open that door? No, he's shooting. You see smoke coming out of his gun. That's what I mean, though. As he opened a door here, yeah, that door that Batman gets down through the subway. Yeah, and I'm assuming the subways gets into here. This yeah. is, is this the parking garage for the subway? Yeah, I'm yeah. assuming. All right, that makes sense. So he's shooting is to to open the door, Batman. Oh, is it? See, I got that he was up, shooting open a door for him. Oh, I don't know. That door wasn't open previously because the Riddler wasn't expecting him to be able to get out. Yeah. So Gordon's has shot open the lock or whatever, right. allowing Batman to get through a door that wasn't previously unlocked. Okay. So without Commissioner Gordon, Batman's squished. Yeah. Which I, that, that was good. Uh, the Batman comes out of hiding for this issue and confronts the Riddler in what is a delicious battle of wits. Where Batman excels at just getting under Nygma's skin. Hmm while simultaneously distracting him from what's really going on, which is, of course, Lucius Fox hacking his equipment. The Batman facing adversity at this level and crushing the Riddler through smart skill and no small amount of luck yeah. is such great fun to read. The art's lovely. Mm. We haven't really talked much about the art because there's only so many words you can say, this was great. And just gets better. Yeah, as it goes along, it is amazing how much better it gets. Batman issue 32, the cover has the Riddler standing on the floor, a small figure as a large green question mark dominates. 
tied to the question mark, the Batman. Strangely evocative of the 60s, the green question mark and the purple background conjure up images of the Joker rather than the Riddler. Mm. But it's good though, that one. Yeah. That is a very 50s or 60s inspired cover with the question mark being quite large like that, isn't it? I like it. It's very good. You're going to give us the rundown on this one? Batman infiltrates the old Wayne Tower through the roof whilst Jim and the squad infiltrate from the sewers. Jim says the sewers are teeming with drones, which Lucius says is good, because at least they know they're in the right place. Lucius says that he ran the trace of the screen three times, and all of them traced back to the tower right in the centre of the city. He also says that if the Riddler spots them, then he'll block them so that he won't be able to control anything in a two-block range. But Batman says that a current like that will burn through the conductor cables, and that they will only have one chance at blocking Nigma. As Jim and the Seals walk down the train tracks to see boxes on the walls with question marks on them, to which Batman says they're vampires, devices that reroute remote signals, but one of them alone would be more than enough per tunnel. He says that this feels too easy. The captain of the Seals says that all they have to do is confirm Nigma's location, pinpoint him and send word back to Fort Robbins, where they will have a sword ready, an airstrike that uses spikes to reach the tunnels below the buildings. All they have to do is enter the rip code on the comms on their belts and the jets will scatter. The rip code panics Batman who tells Lucius to fire the signal blocker now as Nigma's not here. But Nigma tells Batman over, a ri- over the radio that Lucius can't hear him. Batman climbs down an elevator shaft until he opens a set of doors to find three drones waiting. They open fire on him but he manages to climb higher and into a different floor but is attacked once again. He grabs a drone and jumps out of the building and falls. Lucius sits in the van and is shot by an attacking drone, which destroys the conductor, but is saved by Batman. Lucius tells Batman that he just printed out a new pattern, but Batman says that he set the pin to trace the signal again earlier today in case Enigma turned on or used anything in the city. He also says that the boxes on the walls Jim saw are bombs, and when he gets close enough, Enigma will set off the seal's comms, enter the ripcord himself, and set off the bombs. Lucius says that the Jets will arrive at Gotham in 40 minutes tops, and that they only have time for one guess at Nigma's location. The two look at the map of Gotham, but neither of them see a pattern, but Batman says he has a guess. A place on the edge of the city that's not even a part of the pattern. Batman says he could be very wrong, and the signal blocker is destroyed, meaning they have no way of stopping him from setting off the weather balloons. Batman walks off through the city until he reaches the building. He stands inside the pitch black room and demands to know if he guessed right. A light above him reveals a giant sphinx before him, and from it walks Nigma, clapping. Batman says that the bounce pattern looked like a coil similar to the ancient Sete game boards. He says it's over, but the game board lights up under Batman's feet as the Riddler says the real game is just beginning. Um, this was great. Yeah. yeah. Again? Yeah. Very tense, very well written. Uh, the Riddler's got Batman run the gauntlet throughout this issue. And one of the things that has been nice to see is Snyder's portrayal of a very human Bruce Wayne. Um, Batman actually considers losing. Yeah. Doesn't he? He actually says in the middle of the issue, I've seen us not winning. Yeah. Can you imagine ultra godlike Batman of the early 2000s, late 90s, admitting that he wouldn't win? Yeah. Doesn't happen, does it? No, well, also, he's already failed twice. Yeah. So you've got this... I especially love the bit at the end where we've got no choice. We've got to make a guess. Yeah. And if we guess wrong, we've lost. Yeah. But Batman doesn't guess wrong. 
No, no, no. He always gets it right. But he's not sure. So you have that wonderful scene where he writes a letter to Alfred. Yeah. Which is gorgeous. A letter he doesn't know Alfred is ever going to get. Mm. But it's a, it's a wonderful monologue as he basically marches through the city to get where he needs to go cross-court with the fighter jets re- being readied, like mm. Top Gun. It's great. It's absolutely brilliant. The tornadoes, aren't they? Yeah. So, um, Snyder, he's also introduced Snyder a lot of elements of the old stories that may have been discarded. He's got Uncle Philip and Julie Madsen. And you've even got moments that in the past may be considered a bit campy, like the giant penny. Yeah. The Riddler's obsession with riddles. The, the city being held captive by, let's be honest, balloons. Yeah. All of this stuff could be in the hands of the 60s TV producers played for laughs. Mm. But Snyder's story manages to make all of this work by treating the situation as utterly real. Mm. And it's it's absolutely fantastic. I like as well this Batman Bleeds. Yeah. Doesn't he? The, the absolutely ent- great stuff. The entire opening section where they're infiltrating Old Wayne Tower mm. is really tense all the way through, especially since they've been wrong again. Yeah. But... Like, the Riddler is one step ahead of them yeah. at every turn, isn't he? There is a slight inconsistency with the, the height of Wayne Tower. I think in issue three of this run, or two, Bam, Bruce Wayne is attacked by um, the Talon, yeah. who works for the Court of Owls, and they both fall out of Old Wayne Tower from the top floor, mm. which doesn't look as high as it looks it is here. Maybe it got rebuilt after this and it's not as big. Okay. Because <laughs> that will take place after this, won't it? Yeah. Right. See, that, that doesn't normally... They normally, when they rebuild something, they make it bigger, don't they? And I think they say it hasn't been rebuilt or anything. Right. Uh, we'll just ignore that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a minor inconsistency. Um, I don't... I, I kind of ran out of things to say, because I think we're maybe getting a tad redundant in stating exactly how much we're enjoying this story. And I'm sorry to disappoint anybody who dislikes the new 52 but this was absolutely magnificent I'm sorry people who like it when we tear stuff apart are engaging snark but we're struggling to say anything negative about this yeah aren't we of everything we've ever covered I I certainly speaking for me I don't think I've found anything wrong with it have I a couple no. of minor little things here in the a spelling only, mistake or yeah. a word error or something. But they're only minor. Yeah, there's only minor niggles. My only real concern is that we're building it up too much, so when people read it, they'll say it wasn't that good. And you know, they may be right, but yeah. I think it's that good. I think it's better off reading before listening to. You, you don't want this ruined for No, you, don't, you just want to experience it for yourself. And it's great at the end. Mm. Where Batman silently walks to his final guess, which yeah. is the only guess he'll get, and he's he's talking to Alfred whilst the jets are being readied, and then he goes to the museum, yeah, which is where he first met where he first met the Riddler outside the Sphinx yeah. and on the game board where he first played riddles against Uruburos, the Uruburos thing that yeah. that panel page that we mentioned has been brilliant, yeah, comes back into play and. At the end. It's great with Batman standing in the pitch black and he's yelling out to Enigma, demanding to know if he's right. And then Enigma just walks out all cool and casual. Yeah. It is, it is, it's a proper modern comic in that the pacing is more deliberate than it was, you know, back in the day. 
But there's something about the way Snyder structures these stories that this works as a monthly read. Yeah. Without the reader feeling ripped off it's about how much he's spent. But it it also reads differently as a gestalt, doesn't yeah. it? As a whole. It's a different reading experience. It takes on new meanings and has hidden layers. It's a proper modern comic in that it uses all the new techniques such as computer colouring and callbacks to the past. But it's never clever, clever. No. It's, it's not, Snyder's never try to prove to you how smart he is hmm. he's just written his story and put a lot of time and thought into it it's always in service of the story and it's a proper modern comic in that it takes everything you knew about the character like Batman a character so omnipresent in pop culture everybody comics readers or not have a favourite version of him and tells a completely different kind of origin story while still being faithful to the past I may not have talked a lot about issue 32 specifically, but like all the others, this was just a wonderfully paced, magnificently drawn comic. Yeah. Tense as hell, as well. It's the final of everything. It's the final guest they get. It's the final mm. time you think they'll see each other. It's the final time he thinks he'll speak to Alfred. It's a good writer that can make you forget you're reading a prequel. Yeah. Because there's a part of you that when you're reading this, you should be like, well, I know Gotham City survives. Yeah. I know Batman survives. This shouldn't be in any way dramatic. But it is. But as you're reading it, you're like, oh, they made the right <laughs> guess. You don't for a minute think, well, I've read 28 <laughs> issues that take place after this. Yeah. So they must make the right guess. And Lucius can't die because we've seen him in later stories yeah. and, and all of that stuff. But it's it works when you're reading it, doesn't it? Yeah. That you forget that it's a prequel. Absolutely, you know, fantastic. We reach the end with Batman issue 33, a double-sized issue. Batman fully decked out in his more traditional attire, albeit with bigger boots, purple gloves and knee and shin pads, stands in between two lions in a lush and verdant landscape. In his hand, the Riddler's staff has been snapped in two, and Batman holds a piece in each hand. Is that the cover to one of the graphic novels? I'm not sure. No, I'm not. I don't oh. know what the covers... One of the covers is um, him holding the cowl. Yeah, that's the first one. The is second it? one is him sat atop the gurgoyle with the... Which is that one. Oh, yeah, so that's the other one then. Right. So the Doctor Death one, I think, is the one of him as the bone monster. All oh, right. So they never used that one for the cover of the tread. Oh, that's unusual. Because that's much more of a hero shot than any of the others, isn't it? Yeah. All right, okay, fair enough. Gordon and the Seals reach Lucius at the van, who tells him that Batman has gone off to find Nygma. Jim says that there's still a chance to call off the jets and tells the captain to give him his flare gun. Jim tells Lucius to start working on a new blocker before setting off. Meanwhile, the Riddler challenges Batman with 12 riddles, 12 steps to reach him to save the city. If he gets the riddle right, then that's one step closer to the Riddler. But if he gets it wrong, then that's one weather balloon down in the city. With 14 minutes left until the jets arrive, Nigma asks the first riddle. I am a house without the head of a head knitted deep within the trees. A head that lies without its eyes stitched silently to tease. A louse. The head of the head suggests the first letter of the word meaning cage and lies without its eyes. Lies without eyes leaves with L. L and louse equal louse. Knitted is a homonym for knitted, knit being louse eggs. Nigma puts the answer into his machine and Batman takes a step. Lucius speeds down the street full of empty cars as Jim climbs up vines growing on a destroyed building. An owl catches him by surprise, causing him to drop the flare gun. I 
have a single voice, a thousand throats. I sell my tail for peanuts, but then a bee. Bees buzz with one voice, one mind. A comb is made up of cells. The queen is shaped like a peanut. Enigma enters it, and Batman takes a step. Jim looks around for something to call out to the jets with, but finds nothing, and sees the jets fly past the window. My greatest of strengths is that I know my worth. I hug myself so tightly at every birth. A blade. But Batman has no goddamn time to state his reasoning. He guessed wrong. He failed to see what the riddle was doing. The answers to the riddles were the riddles of famous unsolvable riddles from history. Batman walks across the game board, through the lasers that should be dropping weather balloons from the sky. Drones should be responding to Nygma's cause, but they don't. Lucius is sitting outside with Philip Kane's giant penny tied to the roof of his car, acting as a conductor to the blocker. Batman says that Alexander couldn't solve the riddle of the Gordian knot, so what did he do? He pulled out a blade and cut through. Batman punches Riddler square in the jaw. Jim paints a bat on a mirror and angles it so that the pilots can see the glow. Calling back into Fort Robbins, the jets pull out and await further orders. Meanwhile, Batman demands to know how to turn the city back on. Nigma unbuttons his shirt to reveal an electrode on his chest. It feeds modulated power to all the servers in the room and is set to his heartbeat. If the electrode is taken off him, then the city will truly die. To start it back up again, it'll need to be completely rebooted and the electrode bonded to a new heart. But for that, it'll need a charge of a thousand volts. He dares Batman to give it a try, to be the hero that saves the city. He takes the electrode from Nigma's chest and, to shut him up, puts his boot down. Batman attaches himself to a defibrillator as the jets engage for a final pass. With the bombs armed, Batman pushes the button. He wakes up to Alfred performing CPR, and the jets see the lights of the city turning back on and fly away. Bruce asks why Alfred is here. Alfred had already told Bruce. He might not always agree with him, but he will always be there to patch him back up again. One month later. Bruce Wayne, now chairman of the Wayne Enterprises, appoints Lucius Fox as the head of the company at a party. One day of freedom and relaxation for the entire city before the hard work of rebuilding starts. The newly appointed Commissioner Gordon speaks to Bruce. They speak about Nygma, how it wasn't safe to keep him in Blackgate, so he's being kept in Arkham. He also says that when he went to the roof to smoke, his cigarettes were gone. They were gone because his coat was gone. When he went to the coat check, they gave him the same coat by the same brand, but a new one. He asked Bruce if the Batman had said anything to him, but Bruce just says that maybe it was time for a new coat. Alfred tells him that someone is waiting for him, Julie Madison, a girl he dated years back. Bruce tells Alfred that he won't stop. Batman is how he fights the loss of his parents and fights so that others won't go through what he did. Batman is what helps the city, what helps its citizens and gives them hope in any darkness. Alfred asks if he'll have just one drink. He loses himself in a fantasy, watching Bruce and Julie talk, then date and raise children until the day that Bruce turns from his children and to Alfred and thanks him for his life. But none of this came to be as when Alfred returned to Julie, he regretfully informed her that Bruce Wayne is currently spoken for. <laughs> uh, I adore the opening. The lasers guiding Batman through his maze and the Riddler finally saying, Riddle me this, Batman. Yeah. 
I've been waiting for that. <laughs> and he made me wait 12 issues. Was it worth it? Yeah, <laughs> it was totally worth it. Again, the cutting between the scenes of Batman and the Riddler and what they're up to, and what Gordon and Lucius are up to, plus the added dangers of the fighter jets approaching, is masterfully interwoven into the narrative by Snyder and Capullo. It's really quite amazing how exciting and edge of the seat this was to read, wasn't it? Yeah. Every time I read one of these, you just lost yourself in it. Mm. And there was tons of times I was like, I need to go by and read them all again. Yeah. That's a good story. And of course, the Riddler cheats. Because the Riddler has to cheat. His ego will not allow for the idea that Batman, or anybody for that matter, is smarter than him. Because his identity is so wrapped up in his intelligence that if he isn't the smartest guy in the room, then he's got nothing. It also goes some way to explaining the Riddler's fascination with beating the Batman. He has to be smarter than him. Because if he's not smarter than him, he is nobody. Yeah. And it's like you said in the last issue, why are you, not, why are you wasting your intellect trying to prove that? Hmm. Because Batman doesn't care, does he? No. There are some bits at the beginning where it is really tense, where it keeps cutting between them. I think it already gives them about a page per character. Yeah, before it keeps swatching between the two. But, well, until there's one panel each for them on yeah. that one page. But it was really cool... For um, oh yeah, but the bit where Jim is climbing up the tower, yeah, and he loses his flare gun because an owl, yeah, that's that that can't be a coincidence. Sort of owls, yeah, yeah. It's all fundamentally interconnected. Yeah, it is, and, and very well done. The panel as well where Jim watches the jets fly past the window is pretty damn cool. And again, it's one of those things where you know how it all turns out, but seeing the jets passing, you're thinking, oh God, it's too late. Yeah, it is very excellent. You know, I had not noticed that it was an owl that caused him to lose the flogger. Mm. That is a brilliant touch, isn't it? Yeah. I just remember thinking, oh, he's lost my flogger! But no, the fact that it's an owl. Yeah. Brilliant, well spotted. That's absolutely fantastic, isn't it? Mm. So you need to read this run again. All of it, from the beginning. Uh, I have to say, despite this being a younger, more impetuous Batman, I did think Batman kicking the Riddler in the face at the end was a bit thuggish for Batman. I I liked it. He's already punched him. Which was a great payoff. Yes. That was satisfying. I, I thought kicking him in the back of the head was a bit... I guess. Batman's smarter than that. I guess, but... It's one of those things where after everything the Riddler's done to him and he still won't shut up, I think Batman's just really f***ed <laughs> off right now. He just wanted him to stop talking. <laughs> yeah. Alright, yeah, I suppose it's a good way to get him to stop talking, I suppose. And then we're intercut with all the panels of mm. the past where Bruce is undergoing... Shock therapy. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And with him using the defibrillator and the bombs being dropped at the same time... And then even at the end where Batman's just electrocuting himself, possibly killing him, and the the system is rebooting but has no signal. And it's those things where, oh God, everything is lost, they've lost again. And it's just one of those things where the writing is so good and the story's so good that even after everything's done, it still seems like everything's lost until... Alfred shows up mm. and suddenly as a reader you have the first breath you, you, you get to catch your breath after 12 issues mm. I love that it was Alfred 
Yeah. I think there's something really touching about it being Alfred that shows up to save Bruce. And it calls back to the earlier issue, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'll always be there to patch you up. Yeah. Set him up, knock him down. I love that it's funny as well. Yeah. How, how did you... Because you're Batman, that's how. Mm. Alfred's not American, isn't he? Yeah. Because you're Batman, that's how. Is that better? Mm. Uh, no, I know that. How did you find me? It's like, really, it's like he's totally confident in himself despite the fact he's nearly just died. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. The Alfred Bruce Wayne stuff is really well done, isn't it? Yeah. And um, Bruce's speech in the epilogue is not only a marvellous summation of Gotham City, but of Snyder's approach to this new era of DC Comics. There are lines about this being a cycle of rebirth and lines about this being ours to shape and be shaped by, which you can read not only as Bruce commenting on Gotham, but Snyder commenting on Zero Year itself, a brand new beginning for Batman, at least until the new one comes along. Mm. Because it's not like he's labouring under any misconceptions that this will be the definitive origin of Batman forever, is it? No. It'll do until this has all happened before, it will all happen again. Um... I mean, just as numerous different Batman origin tales from the origin of Batman by Bill Finger to Untold Legends of the Batman by Len Wein to Year One by Frank Miller have all kick-started the legend once again. This is a 21st century Batman and it will all happen again at some point mm-hmm. in the future. We do see Duke Thomas uh, as well in the epilogue outside with his parents. Oh yes, oh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where they're having the street party. Yeah. Outside Wayne Tower. Yeah, that's Duke. It's nice to see him again, wasn't it? Um, the fact that Julie Madison's got a tattoo yeah. of what looks like leaves. Is that Poison Ivy related? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Julie Madison's related to Poison Ivy in any way. The ending's quite bittersweet, isn't it? Yeah. Julie Madison returns. I mean, we've only seen her in one page, or two pages, I suppose. So she's not really got that resonance. I, I like that she's a redhead now. I don't think she was a redhead in Golden. She looks like Vicky Vale, though. Mm. Alfred has a moment where he sees Bruce abandon this damn fool idealistic crusade and live a normal, happy life with Julie. But it's all a dream. Yeah. It's a nice dream. I like that he takes some scenes horror. Mm. That's quite cute. He has three kids. All boys. Doesn't have a daughter. Mm. Uh, and Alfred is forced to make his excuses that Bruce has uh, spoken for as before a blood red sky another nod to the animated series the Batman patrols the streets as he always has and always will and he always will that is such a great splash page and a great way to end it and it pretty sums up everything that Capullo and Batman's run is. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an owl. There's an owl watching over the city. There's Batman with his smug grin believing that he owns the city now. But he's, the owl is there yeah. to show that he doesn't know it as well as he thinks he does. He's committed to being Batman. And that one page alone sums up the entire run. But the red background evokes the animated series. Yeah, it doesn't calls it? back to everything that was and is. Mm. Again, he's not got the purple gloves anymore. No, he's... Because he's, he's past the zero year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it ends. Initially, my feeling was that at 12 issues, this was going to be yet another example of tedious decompression and boring splash pages. All techniques used to eke out a story far longer than natural 
in an effort to sell more expensive trade and hardcover collections. In addition, the idea of yet another Batman origin had me rolling my eyes right into the back of my head. Alright, so I was wrong. Snyder and Capullo have created a magnificent series here, a beautifully constructed and wonderfully drawn story that creates a narrative not born of muted colours and dystopian cities, but of hopes and dreams, fears and trepidations. For the Batman to really work, the reader has to buy into the idea that Gotham can be redeemed, that it can be saved. If it's relentlessly bleak and unremittingly grim from the outset, what's Batman fighting for? Here we see a Gotham City broken, perhaps, but capable of redemption and resurrection. And here we have a Bruce Wayne, not devoid of humour, nor obsessed to the point of disbelief, broken, perhaps, but capable of redemption and resurrection. He's still learning, still quick to anger, not as calm and collected as he would become, but a human, not a superhuman. By casting off the yoke of year one, Snyder and Coppola have created their own origin, and more importantly, made it their own. Good job. What do you think? That thought was great. All of it. It was. Would you just turn this into a Batman podcast covering the Coppola Snyder Probably, stuff? Yeah, yeah. If you could. It's it's a great run, but zero year, like Snyder said himself, is the highlight of it. It's such a great story. So is he going to quit now? No, they've they've gone for over fifty issues. All right, fair enough. Coppola's got a contract for fifty. Snyder's. Go in until I presume they would go together. Probably, yeah. Whereas if one of them says that they've had enough, they've had guest artists step in, but it is the Snyder Capullo run. Yeah, well, the the, the breaks are normally well done. The, the Having usually, one in the middle of zero year was a bit silly. Yeah, but, they they're usually know. at the end of an issue. Yeah, at the, end, the, of the, the end of the story. Yeah, yeah. So that's fair enough. I think zero year is not only the highlight of the run, but is my favourite. Batman origin yeah, retelling right. and it was great to tell Scott Snyder himself that it was my favourite he was very humble about it he was wasn't yeah. he which was nice to say ok well that's that's it we hope you enjoyed that as much as we did again we're really sorry if you thought we were going to take <laughs> apart a new 52 story out and tear it to shreds mm-hmm. but this is just fantastic I think Snyder and Coppola's run on Batman he's one for the ages I think it's it's been the true success story of this relaunch. Yeah. Even though it didn't need to be a relaunch, Snyder and Capullo could probably have just done just as well as part of just a regular Batman run, couldn't they? I suppose you could argue that Black Mirror is part of Snyder's run. Well, Black Mirror's Dick Grayson's Batman. Yeah, but well, that's just because of the times hmm. Dick Grayson was So it doesn't, it doesn't really work as part of this bit, does it? No. Sadly. Alright, fair enough. Next time on an all new episode. Stuff. Yeah. Stuff and nonsense. We don't know yet because, you know, we've been busy doing real life stuff. <laughs> the but, things we don't like doing. Yeah, the boring stuff that I, I actually have to do because I'm an adult, which irritates me no end. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. We hope you will join us next week for more comic shenanigans. And tomfoolery. And tomfoolery, yes. Because um, that was, was pretty spiffing, mm. wasn't it? We should get that brought into the vernacular. People don't say spiffing enough anymore, <laughs> do they? No, they don't. Oh, spiffing, darling. <laughs> oh, yeah, people should say that more. Email in that you, if you thought Year Zero was spiffing. Year Zero. <laughs> zero Year, sorry. Email in if you didn't think it was spiffing. I don't know. I've not seen any negativeness about this. No. 
it's, it's been uni- universally well received for the most part. There will be dissenters, probably, because there always are. Mm. Oh. All right, well, we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us. Bye bye. Goodbye. Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only, and no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show is not turned into a lucrative revenue stream, as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com, and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, your one-stop shop for a plethora of truly fine shows. Join in the fun. We have a website where you can see the covers of the comics we've covered at www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.